Amen. If you'd remain standing for me as we read from God's Word, we'll read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 5. Paul begins, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, as we go before the Lord in prayer, we'll remember uh, the Cambodian team that leaves next Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, really early or late. Uh, and uh, that will be Brittany Libsey, Simon Goodyear, and Tony Moore. And they'll be gone for most of the month of August uh, as they travel. Let's go before the Lord. God, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you. Uh, thank you that you planned this beforehand. God, that you planned good works, that you planned um, the church, that you planned our salvation. God, that you would plan these things, that me, we may walk in them, and not, not, not just for our own good, Lord, but that we walk in them for your glory. We thank you, Lord, for your sovereignty. We thank you that you have placed and planned things in such a way that will magnify your name. And Lord, we pray that you would be magnified here among us today. God, you're magnified in the fact that you called us to yourselves and saved us, God, a people who are unworthy, God, a people who we awake sometimes unaware of, of all that you've been doing. Lord, we walk in such a way that is consumed with the immediacy of things around us. Lord, sometimes we strive after things. We strive after our own glory. We strive after material things. And Lord, we confess that, that we are weak. But in Christ, we can have salvation. We can be free from those things. And Lord, we can, we can be those who walk in a manner worthy of you. God, we thank you for Christ. Lord, we thank you that he has, um, he has uh, walked in a, in a way, God, that he went to the cross and won the battle for us. Uh, God, we pray that you would help us to be those who live um, and are content. God, not a, not a false content. That, that looks like apathy, Lord, but a contentment that, that trusts that you can do all things through us, Lord, that you can help us in times of, of plenty and in times of need, um, Lord, even that you can help our brothers who are imprisoned for the gospel now across the world, Lord, a contentment that trusts that Christ is always with us and a contentment that, that looks, Lord, not to the things of this world, knowing that, that there is more than this, this life. God, we thank you. God, we pray, for, um, we pray for your church around the world today. God, especially in places that, that are not at peace but are at war, uh, we pray that your church would, would be a mighty witness to the fact that you are real. Uh, God, we pray for our team that's going out to Cambodia and other places, uh, Lord, that you would help them in their travels to bring you glory, help them to encourage your church and those who are working for your glory across the globe. God, we pray this morning that in our simple act of listening and obey, uh, listening and, and hearing and singing, um, God, and praying that you would receive glory through us and through your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
forgiven at the cross every evil deed and every bitter thought was laid on Christ and he died once for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us into fellowship with you we praise you and we thank you we pray that you would open our hearts right now to your word please encourage us and comfort us with your love and with the steadfastness of Christ and it's in his name we pray amen time where it seems like everyone is more concerned or more worried about avoiding germs and illness and getting infections and trying to stay healthy. And of course, we've already always been uh, pretty good about uh, being dialed in to getting fit and losing weight and being on the right diet and things like that. Now, it's not bad to want to be physically healthy. Everybody wants that. But Paul put it this way, bodily discipline or bodily exercise is, is good for a little, but godliness, godliness is profitable for all things. So yes, friends, it is more important to be spiritually healthy than physically healthy. Today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, we're going to see two characteristics of the God-directed heart, love and steadfastness, and how that can spread to transform lives for the glory of God, how that can make a church healthy. The verse goes like this, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. What we see is Paul praying for Jesus to direct the way and to demolish every obstacle in the way of his people so that the hearts of his people would be drenched with the love of God, the love that comes from God, and then be dependent on his persevering grace. Because the God-directed heart is focused on God's love and on Christ's steadfastness. And precisely, uh, the God-directed heart is marked by the love that comes from God and from the perseverance that Jesus displayed in going to the cross. That Jesus directs our hearts to God's love and to his endurance. Now, we are in 2 Thessalonians, we've been seeing this, that it's about steadfast hope in a shaky world or even while you're living a what feels like a shaky life and you are living in light of the return of Christ but you're dealing with 
with problems or even persecution and, and stresses here in life. And what we've seen is that you make progress through the problems, through the persecutions, uh, through the issues. And we've seen that righteous judgment is coming. And that we must pray that God would be glorified and that we should not let anyone deceive us about the coming of Christ and about the man of lawlessness and about the coming delusion that will come upon so many. And as, as Paul put it, God has given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. We relish that and we, we then hold on. We help each other hold on to the word of God because we have been given this eternal comfort in Christ. We've been given good hope by God's grace in Christ. And it's very good for us because, as we know, the world, the flesh, and the devil has us in their sights. And, and what we need to know, and we saw this last week, is that Christ's faithfulness is your best defense. That Jesus protects his people from Satan. That then his protected people are free to obey him and free to be fruitful. That Jesus is never going to forget you or fail you or forsake you. If you're in Christ, you are his beloved and because he is faithful, you can be faithful and you can please God. This is what we've seen. and what, what Paul's been doing is meditating on the faithfulness of Christ. He's meditating on the grace, grace, uh, faithfulness of Christ, so that causes him to pray. If you're thinking about God's faithfulness, you're going to pray. Confidence in, in who God is and what he does leads you to pray. So he's thinking about Jesus' faithfulness, so he prays. Spurgeon said, if there's no prayer, you can be sure that the soul is dead. Paul was fully alive. Paul was pouring out his heart to God, and what he does in this, in this one-verse prayer is land a foundational blow to tell us, here is why you can obey the imperatives. And don't try obeying the imperatives without this. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That's the prayer. May Jesus steadfastly carry out his will in your life and in the church and may his yielded servants' wills be matched with his. May the faithful one direct your hearts into or towards or in relation to love and steadfastness. Two areas that will make a Christian healthy, that will make a church healthy. How does God do it? He does it by moving in the hearts of his people. By doing something that you can't do, that I can't do, God does something. And, and the first point here is that, that Jesus directs the way and demolishes obstacles so hearts are free to serve him. He directs the way and he demolishes obstacles. It says, may the Lord direct your hearts. The Lord is Jesus. You got to get this straight. Jesus' help is necessary. You need Jesus. That prayer, help me Jesus, is a good prayer to pray. Here is Paul. He had complimented them because they obeyed, and he's not telling them they're self-sufficient. He's like, you need Jesus. We need Jesus. We're not self-sufficient. We need him. 
May the Lord direct your hearts. May the Lord do it. May the Lord direct. Usually we think of, you know, guiding us in a certain direction. And that's what it means, but it means more than that. It means literally to make straight, but it also refers to leveling and removing obstacles. It's like taking a bulldozer to your problems. And not the ones that you think should be removed, but the one God thinks should be removed. Anything that would be in the way of you pleasing him, anything in the way of your sanctification, anything in the way of you making progress in a healthy way in Christ. May the Lord direct, may he, may he level, may he remove obstacles to his will. Take a bobcat to all the obstacles that Satan puts in the way. This is what Paul is praying for Jesus to do, that he would direct them into a greater appreciation of God's love for them and Christ's perseverance on their behalf, then this is what you need. You, you need to see Christ as your sufficiency, as your adequacy, as your very life today. If you want to be healthy in Christ, if you want a God-directed heart, if you want to be a part of a church that is filled with God-directed hearts, we focused on the love of God and on the steadfastness of Christ. Notice with me that he says, your hearts. It's a plural prayer that Christ will open up the way for the whole church and the inner life of the collective church to be focused on God's love and Christ's steadfastness. You're like, I don't know if God could actually get this group together for that. Well, this is what God does. You say, I don't know if God can harness my heart. My heart is wandering all the time. I don't know if this can happen. This is what God does. This is what Jesus does. That, that he is going to direct them into a greater appreciation of God's love for them and of what Christ did at the cross such that you would have a healthy life in Christ. People are like, oh, I pray. I read the Bible. I share my faith in Christ. You can do all those things without having a healthy heart in Christ. You, you can do all those things and harbor ill will towards someone else and not be loving towards fellow believers. You can do all those things and not be spiritually healthy. Your hearts. We know from the Bible that, that God directs hearts, that he changes hearts, that he renews hearts, that he weighs the hearts, that he knows the hearts. And in the Bible, heart is more than your emotions. We like to think of, well, I feel this way. It's more than your feelings. In the Bible, heart means the sum total of your whole inner life. It means your intellect and your will and your emotions. It's not just your emotions. Heart in the Bible is a comprehensive term for the whole person. All your inner life, all your thoughts, all your feelings, all your decisions, not just your emotions, your whole personality. What does that mean? It means everything about you that is invisible. The invisible you. I'm not saying like some of you might feel invisible. That's another thing. People need to pay attention to you if you feel invisible or you need to you know, make some friends. But this is about your heart. 
It is about your heart biblically. Everything about you, not just your emotions. Everything. It's, it's organic. It's holistic. It's, and it's not easy to capture the essence of it. But God knows. God knows. And, and in the Old Testament, you see things like this, the prayers in, in 1 Kings chapter 8, where it just says, Lord, incline the hearts of your people to yourself, that they would walk in all your ways, that they would keep your commandments. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 5, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your word. I don't think you can put too much weight on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will what? Direct your paths. He will lead the way, but he'll also bulldoze whatever's in the way of his will. It could be something you're coddling. It could be something you want. It could be something that you don't want to let go of. This is a prayer for the faithful one to, the, to, the, to lead and to direct the hearts of his people into further growth and, and healthiness as the Spirit of God leads and as the Spirit of God uh, directs and as believers walk in step with the Spirit of God. That, that Jesus is the way and he bulldozes obstacles out of the way of his will, he removes obstacles, and he does it by, by loving his people and persevering them. And he, and he does this in the process. And Paul is asking the Lord to, to move aside barriers that threaten to hinder their spiritual progress. We should be praying this prayer. Our will should be bent such that we would say, Lord, whatever it is, that might be impeding my growth in Christ. Please remove that. He's asking the Lord to do this. He, that Jesus directs the way and demolishes obstacles so that the hearts of his people are free. Free to do what? Well, the first point of Jesus directing and demolishing, he's doing this. He's doing this. Why? Well, point number two, so that you and that the church and that God's people would be drenched in the love that comes from God. God's love in your heart would, would lead to a life of love. He says that, that may the Lord, may Jesus direct your hearts, church, plural, together, to the love of God. The love that flows from God. The, the source, the, the perfection, the power. Just the other day, I was up in the mountains with some of our men uh, going fishing, and we were at the south fork of the Santa Ana River. And I didn't know where it started, but it just started as a trickle as a stream, and, and then it, it was rushing, it was rolling, and there was fish in there. We, we pulled some fish out by God's grace. But here's the interesting thing. I was there all day. The water kept flowing. It didn't stop. As far as I know, it's still flowing. It just keeps going. There's a source, and it keeps flowing. Well, here, God wants your heart to be drenched in his love, and there's a never-ending supply, and it doesn't stop. 
We, we make a limit. We say, I, I don't love you anymore to people. We choose not to love anymore. God says, I love you. I'm, I'm showing my love to you. Romans 5, 5 says that the Holy Spirit has shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. It's just poured out on us over and over again. It's not stopping. God didn't just give you like, you know, five pounds of love for you to, you know, work with over your life. Some of you need a lot more than that, right? I mean, to the love of God, to the love that flows from God, the source, the perfection, the power, the, the provision the love of God. People have wrestled over what this means, the love of God. Is it, is it our love for God? Is it his love for us? Yes. Yes. So quit wrestling over, whoa, whoa, what, what love is it? It's, it's the normal usage, by the way. If you look at this, you, you would expect, you would anticipate this is about God's love for us. First and foremost, yes. We love him because he first loved us. Yes. But in a prayer, you would expect or anticipate that the request would be that we would love God and love others. The primary thought in, in this idea of God directing your heart into the love of God, that he would, he would guide and lead, but he would also bulldoze things out of the way so that you would experience his love, is that God's love for you fosters your love for him and other people. We love because he first loved us. Over in 1 Thessalonians 3, there was a prayer at the end of chapter 3, and it basically said, may the Lord cause you and, and your love to abound and increase for one another and all people. The overflow of the banks with blessing. That hope in Christ does not disappoint, does not put to shame because God's love is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If you're a Christian, the love of God ought to be drenching your soul and you don't turn the spigot on and off. You're not in charge of the spring. You're not, you're not in charge of the, of, the, of the water meter. You're not in charge of the love. God is. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the outflow of the Spirit of God at work in a heart that has been redeemed. Love strengthens us. God is love. God is love. Not that he does loving things. He does, but he is love. He initiates. He, he acts. You, you know and love him because he revealed himself to you in the gospel and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved because of God's love. And you don't know, you know how exactly you, you came to believe in him. You, you can tell the story and you should be able to express it. You don't know how exactly you came to believe in him. You, you can't fully explain it. You can't, you can't give every single thing that God did because you don't know all the things God did. You don't know all the things that God bulldozed out of the way so that you would have a heart open to the gospel. That's why God gave us his inspired and errant infallible word to direct us and even explain the mystery. You, you can't... You can't explain why you have a love in your heart for other believers, why you have the love of God 
for other believers because you are loving some other believers that are distant and brittle and unkind to you, and you still love them. And the only explanation is because I have the love of God in my heart. Some of you are choosing to love and you've been treated very poorly by some people that you're choosing to love. I mean, try being in a family. I mean, I got an awesome family, but I mean, seriously. Try being in a family. Try being in a church. Try being in a small group. Try being around people. This whole place is filled with sinners. Filled with the Holy Spirit who is pouring out his love. And the prayer is that God would Take all the obstacles out of the way and that your heart and our hearts would be free to be drenched with the love of God and then deliver that to others as, as, as we're vessels, as we're instruments of, of righteousness, as we're, as we're um, instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. I had a friend once who said to me, hey, I'm doing some business for this certain company, and the guy who owns the business, he's a Christian, and he's told me that what he makes, he's willing to offer to any pastor that you know for free. So my friend comes to me, and he says, my friend will make you a Kevlar vest that no one will know you're wearing because it is, it's so high-tech and so well-made and, and so designed just for you that you can be wearing it and be up preaching and be very protected with your Kevlar vest. You're all like, does he have it on now? I don't know if I'm going to tell you. But then, of course, I don't want you thinking the whole sermon, I think I see the Kevlar. No, because actually you can't see it. The way they made it is such that you can't, you can't, you can't detect it. So I was thinking about that and about how God's love is sometimes run over by the runaway train of self-will, how we get suspicious of others. And by the way, some of you are like, oh, oh, preacher's meddling. Actually, I'm confessing. And my dad used to say, if the shoe fits, wear it. Well, if it fits you, I'm not pointing at you. The Holy Spirit is, okay? Here's the thing, and I'm just going to be, con I'll, I'll confess here because I know what I'm like. And God's love in my life gets run over by the run runaway train of self-will, and I will start getting suspicious and think others have nefarious motives, and I will judge by appearances when only God knows. And see, only God can bring the love, and it's invisible, and, and we must yield to it. And, and the love is tested because everyone in the mix is sinful. Just so you don't get all distracted the rest of the time, quit looking at, you know, looking at my shirt. I, I said no. I'm like, I'm not going to be the only one wearing a Kevlar vest. If it's my time to go, I'm going with everybody. I'm not going to be the one survivor on this one, okay? But you know why they give you the Kevlar vest, right? It was not just for fashion. It was for protection. You know this, right? Okay. So the love of God protects the church of God, 
even, dare I say, from the people of God at times, and any enemy, any obstacle to the will of God, the love of God. You should always want to love your neighbor. You should always do many things to show that love, but we don't always do it. Sometimes people like to stipulate, if you don't do this, you don't love your neighbor. That's wrong. I'm saying you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Be drenched in the love of God. If you're a Christian today, you want to be drenched in the love of God. And I realize that some of you are like, yeah, but I've been pushing that away because I'm suffering. And so when I suffer, I I get to do whatever I want. Where did you find that idea? Now, there are some people who pull off the unimaginable. They pull the wool over everybody's eyes and they, they act nice and they look loving, but they aren't saved. C.S. Lewis put it this way, a world of nice people, content in their own niceness, looking no further, turned away from God, would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and might even be more difficult to save. You want to grasp the love that we're praying for? You want to pray that prayer? And you want to grasp that kind of love that we're saying that God would open the way for in our hearts? It only can be grasped because you've been broken by your sin unless and until you are broken over your sin and are humbled before God and other people and freely confess your sins you're never going to understand this you're going to keep using God as a commodity and using his love as something to get what you want you're going to keep living like well you offended me I reject you I don't love you anymore what you need to do if you want to be in line with this is have the skin of an alligator and the heart of a lamb That's what God's love gives a believer. Where you love those in need of mercy and forgiveness. Where you love Jesus. Where you abide in Jesus. Where you love Jesus such that you then love other people and realize you can't see inside of their hearts and so you're going to stop trying to jump to conclusions about what's in there. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart if the love of God is filling the heart. Bitter words ought not to be coming out. And and what happens in in our lives, and I know it happens in my heart, is that we are not 100% accurate in our assessments. Only God is. And what we tend to do is relate to people or think about people in a one-track way. And then it obscures the love. We we look at them either at their, their good traits or their bad traits. We look at them either in a positive way or a negative way, and we aren't very accurate about it. So if we like someone, here's what we do. We give them the benefit of the doubt on everything, even when they need correcting. And if we dislike someone, we let isolated instances, we let uh, even a pattern of flavor our thoughts about them so that they can do no good in our mind. That's not showing the love of God. Some of you are thinking those things about people even in the church. With people that we, we, we like, we don't correct them when, they, when we should. With people that we don't like, we don't commend them when we should. What happens is that betrays a a misunderstanding of the gospel. For which I must repent, for which you must repent. Don't misunderstand the gospel. God chooses 
of his own sovereign good pleasure to set his love upon you and then say to the believer, I will no longer relate to you on the basis of your sin. I put your sin on Christ at the cross. And though you still sin, I no longer will relate to you on the basis of your sin. I will relate to you on the basis of my mercy, on my forgiveness, on my love on my free acceptance of the one who I choose to save. But God, to the believer, the reason the, the love of God is poured out on your heart is because he chooses, by his sovereign good pleasure, because of his love, to, to relate to you on the basis of the forgiveness you have because of Christ's sacrifice in your place. That God is just, and he punished sin, your sins on the Christ, on the on Christ at the cross. And a believer has to grasp that and say, wow, that happened. Now I, I can't just grasp it once. I, I leak, so I must keep reminding myself and, and allowing God to remind me, allowing his people to remind me that God no longer relates to me on the basis of my sin. And I'm not getting special treatment. I'm not getting brownie points for good behavior. And, and this is the kind of love that God wants to capture your heart with. I mean, oh, to have our hearts captured by this kind of love. We have this ever-increasing thankfulness for God's love, and, and it will keep us healthy spiritually. It will keep us on track spiritually. This is what Paul is praying for. This is what you're praying for when you pray this prayer. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. And love begets holiness. You want to please God. But here's the thing. I read a quote this week by Leonard Ravenhill. and it was The, the gist of it was, it, we are very comfortable in the church with sin, but we get agitated when holiness is mentioned. Same guy who said, if you want to be popular, preach happiness. If you want to be unpopular, preach holiness. Here's what Ravenhill said. He says, we live in a day where we're more afraid of holiness than we are of sinfulness. We can tolerate sin, but boy, do we get our hackles up when you talk about holiness. And the Holy Spirit had the psalmist in Psalm 19 where it speaks of God's revelation of himself in, in creation and God's revelation of himself in the word of God to say at the end of the psalm, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's a desire for holiness. Where the psalmist in Psalm 141 verse 4 says, Lord, let not my heart incline to evil. You see, Jesus directs the way and demolishes the obstacles so that your heart would be freely drenched in the love that comes from God. She would know it and, and show it and share it. And, and, and then that leads us to the, the third point. Not just that Jesus directs the way and demolishes the obstacles. Not just that you'd be drenched in the love that comes from him, but then point three, that you then are dependent on his persevering grace. That you are dependent on his grace as you live this life, as you go to the office tomorrow morning, as you drive home today, as you go back into a tough relationship, as you think through you know, the mountains of problems in your life or the 
mounds of laundry you have left to do, dishes and people and bills and, and, and all the things that you would be dependent on his persevering grace because this prayer leads to this. May the Lord, may Jesus, direct your hearts, guide and lead, take away all the obstacles to his will, your hearts into the love of God, his love for you, your love for him and others, and lead your heart, direct your heart, take away the obstacles to his will as it relates to the steadfastness of Christ. That you would live persevering, that you would live enduring, that you would continue on in Christ. That you would not give up. Some of you want to give up. Some of you say, I've had enough. God's love in your heart leads to a life of love. Similarly, Christ's perseverance inspires your perseverance. See, the patient endurance of Christ in going to the cross is the model, is the matchless perfection that we ought to latch onto, that we remember God's love sent Christ to the cross, that we remember that, that we know that, that we live in that, that we relish that. And then we remember that Jesus' perseverance led him to the cross on our behalf. And so when you endure, you're not saying, well, I'm suffering, I gotta put up with it. This is not negative, passive resignation where you say, well, I'm suffering. By the way, we think we're off the hook when we suffer. Now I can do and say whatever I want because, hey, I'm suffering. No. This endurance is, is fortitude. This is the stout-hearted soldier. This is the one who says, I will not cave in. I will not give up. I'm going to actively endure in Christ's strength and for his glory, and I will be unswerved that I am deliberate in this purpose, that I will stay loyal to the truth and loyal to the faith and even in the greatest trials and even in the greatest problems of my life, in the greatest sufferings that I will endure or that I am enduring, that you look to the patience of Christ, that you look to the endurance of Christ, that you see the beauty of his steadfastness that he is the perfect portrayal of patience and bearing up under trial, that he is the source and sufficiency of your life in Christ, that Christ lives in you, therefore you can patiently wait for Christ. As the psalmist put it, my soul waits for the Lord. As Paul told the Philippians, he said, I I know this, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform us. Or Titus 2, which says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would endure, that we would endure it patiently. Again, just like love, Endurance is a, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It should be found in increasing measure in those who are redeemed, those who are believers. 
And, 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 and you're, if you're persevering, you are going to be patient and you're going to be long-suffering. And it will happen in trials. You will endure in the face of hardship. That you will bear w- with one another in love. The hardship of relationships, the hardship of life experience, the hardship of life moments and, and seasons that you go through, especially the most trying of circumstances, of desires un, un, unmet, of, of, of issues unresolved, because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of even self-control. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So no matter what you face or experience, go with me to Second. Corinthians chapter 6, and let's see what Paul had to say about their experience and how they lived it in the sustaining grace of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 6, and beginning at verse 1, right after he says the love of Christ controls us, right after he says that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature, the old things have passed away, new things have come, like you don't keep all the old stuff of your life from before you were saved. Here's what he says. He says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For God says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You continue on in Christ, believer. He says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in inflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, impurity, desiring holiness in knowledge, knowing the word of God, in patience, bearing up under trial, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit who indwells us, in genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, the shield of faith and the word of God the sword of the Spirit, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Some of you are racked with sorrow in your heart and the believer can rejoice and not feel guilty about rejoicing in sorrow, but know that that is the will of God for you. Not to be happy that bad things happened, but to be happy that your soul is kept in Christ and that you have the peace of God because of Jesus Christ. As poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. How were they not crushed? How were they not crushed? Does anyone here ever still have a trash compactor at home? They don't sell those anymore, do they? But some homes have a trash compact. You know, smash it all together. Or you know those, you know those those auto yards where they bring the old car in and they just smash the car to smithereens. You know, and make it really skinny like a pancake, flat like a pancake. Car crusher, whatever they're called. How are they not crushed? They went through the ringer. How are they not crushed? Because of the perseverance of Christ. 
William Carey said it this way, I have God and, I, and his word is sure. That's why I'm not crushed. He says, I, I have God and his word is sure. If I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my hope fixed on that sure word would rise superior to all obstructions. I shall come out of all trials as gold purified by fire. That is what Job said. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The problem, the persecution that you are facing, that you are enduring, that you are bearing, even the one that you're carrying, God will use in your life, beloved believer, to make you the person he wants you to be. He's going to use his love. He's going to use the, the perseverance of Christ. And, and, and you can be sure that God will act on your behalf. That Jesus will protect you. That Jesus is with you. The other day I used a really silly illustration with our summer interns and, and during our staff meeting. And I, uh, I had one of them stand up and I said, hey, stand right here. And, and uh, now what if, this was Hugo, just so you know, you wonder who it was. It was Hugo. I said, what if Hugo had Tanner, one of the other staff guys, come at him and just try to push him over? Who's going to win? Everybody voted for Tanner. It's going to happen. He's just going to, he's gone. He's gone. He's flattened. I said, but what if, what if Hugo was standing there and then behind him, invisible, was infinity tungsten steel? What's going to happen to him? And they said, well, he'll still get flattened. <laughs> now, Paul and, and, and others were, were flattened for the gospel. They didn't, they didn't come out with, with, you know, no scars. What did Paul say in Galatians 6, 17? Uh, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. But you need to know something, believer. You have all the resources of God with you, and he is with you. No one can see it, whether it's a Kevlar vest or whether it's tungsten steel infinity holding you and even surrounding you. This is what Paul, it, Paul is praying, that God would direct us into Christ's steadfastness. At the, they were, he was saying that to a church that was facing many trials and persecutions. But, but he was saying, like, Jesus is our example of facing these things with patient endurance. That, that, that the writer of Hebrews, he names Jesus as the pinnacle of patient endurance, of perseverance. In Hebrews 12, let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Those in, in Hebrews 11, those cloud of witnesses, they were not commended for their faithfulness, but for their faith in the faithful one, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous deliverer. The faithful one ought to be our focus. Jesus ought to be our focus. Look to Jesus. And, and you can think of your whole life like this. The rest of your life, think of it this way. Practicing being steadfast. Where you yield your will to God, you say, you know what, not my will. Your whole being would be established on a firm foundation 
of love and steadfastness. We experience the love of God. Not just talk about it, but experience the love of God from God who is love. And remember Christ's work. That you rest in him who went all the way to the cross. You rest in him who went all the way to victory. He did not give up. He did not give in. And Paul is praying that God himself, that Jesus would drench us in his love such that we depend on his perseverance, on his grace. And how do you get this? Some people would say, well, I just need to think about Jesus more. And I would say, not just by thinking about Jesus, but by Jesus drawing near to you. This is what Jesus does. And then you yield to him. Then you think of him. You get this by soaking in Christ. You get this by marinating in Christ. You get this by by committing your soul to him over and over again. You get this by, by realizing this takes more than I've got. And it's not my work, it's his, but I want to yield my will and say not my will. I want to pray for God's will. I want to pray your will be done, Lord. Just like Paul asked others to pray for him, it's good for you to pray and for others and, and it's wise for you to ask others to pray for you. And trust God, he answers prayer. And the ministry of the word will spread. And then you can see what God has done in the past and say, wow, that's going to bolster my hope. That's going to bolster my expectation for him to work in the future. We plead with God from a right heart to direct his people into love and steadfastness. And it will cover everything in his will, in his time. We have confidence in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In the Bible, you'll see this, and even today you see this, but there are people among Christian community, but they're not in Christ. They do not continue with God. The writer of Hebrews says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith to the preserving of our souls. 1 John 2.19 says there was a group that went out from us, but they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have continued with us. They would have continued on in Christ. But here's what you can know for sure. God will protect, and God will keep, and God will work in those who are truly his. Jesus said this in John 6.37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will never cast them out. There's your assurance. You can't always depend on people, but you can depend on God. You can depend on God to work in people. September 19th, 1876, there was a, a man who was an agnostic, and he was, he was mocking Christianity. He was mocking Christ. His name was Colonel Robert Ingersoll. He was on a train. He was going through the Midwest, and on that train was his former Civil War commander, also a skeptic, General Lew Wallace. Ingersoll says to Wallace, it won't be long before all the churches dotting the countryside will be a faint memory. They're going through the countryside on a train and they're seeing these, these towns and these churches they're passing. He says, it won't be long before all those churches are a faint memory. But many are still enamored with Christianity and with this man Jesus. And Ingersoll says to Wallace, you should write a book. Wallace had already written one book. He says, you should write a book exposing Jesus for the fraud that he is. 
Wallace says, challenge accepted. So he begins to research to expose Jesus. First thing he did, his first mistake, was reading the Bible. Then he got background reading. Then he went to the Holy Land. Then he spoke to real Christians. And he abandoned skepticism through this process. He became a true believer. And then he wrote Ben-Hur, a tale of the Christ. He wrote it to show that Jesus is God. It was published in November 12, 1880. It became one of the most influential books of the 19th century. Wallace said the process resulted in a conviction amounting to absolute belief in God and the divinity of Jesus Christ. Because the anvil of God's word has worn out many a critic's hammer. God will prevail. You need to be so surrendered to Christ that, that your greatest concern is that the word of God may do what God wants, that God will do, that you will yield your will, that you will ask for his will, that you rely on his presence. He is with you. Jesus is with you. You can persevere. Perseverance, by the way, tells us something about redeeming the time because you don't know how long you have and the days are evil and they're short and there's no guarantee. So in love, endure. In love, endure. Don't give up. You know, in rodeo, if you're on a bucking bronco, you need to stay on for how long? Eight seconds. Can feel like an eternity. Some of you are holding on, and you're like, I can't hold on any longer. Well, praise God, Jesus holds on to you. We can pray this prayer. May, may the Lord direct our hearts into, into his love and into his steadfastness. We'll be spiritually healthy. We'll be yielded to him. This past week, I was meeting with a friend, and we were supposed to look at this verse together. Funny thing happened. We started talking about life. We started talking about this, that, and the other, and we started, uh, the conversation was just ranged from easy things to stressful things to processing things in life, and we were sitting there for about an hour and a half, and I remember saying to my friend, you know, uh, we never talked about the verse. But invariably, our conversation kept leading to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And I said, we never, we never got to that verse, but we just lived it out. I hope that you can have some kind of conversation with someone like that this week, help you be drenched in the love of God and dependent on God's grace. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you alone can do the work that you do. We don't want to have self-directed hearts. We don't want to be suspicious. We don't want to have sick hearts. We, we don't want to spiral out of control and crash into others and cause damage, Lord. We want, to, so we want to stay on the narrow path and that leads to life. And so, Lord, we ask that you would direct the way, that you would demolish obstacles such that our hearts are freely, freely drenched in your love and depending on your persevering grace we would trust you, that we would love you, that we would, that we would worship you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand, and we're going to close singing one last song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us.
Please be praying for our missionaries. Uh, One of them, Jenna Weisenberger, is in the air now on the way back to Jordan. Uh, And then uh, Simon and Tony and Brittany uh, will be in Cambodia by the next time that we gather on Sunday. Pray for them as they go to Cambodia and Thailand. And uh, after third hour today, we're having a uh, bring-your-own-lunch hangout time picnic, so I hope you can join us for that. Let's close with 1 John chapter 5. Verses 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And Lord, as we go our way, may we go in your strength and for your glory honor you, to worship you, to live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air.